Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to A Different Door. A Different Door is a different kind of worship experience here at Grace Avenue, um, where every week we gather for nuanced conversation about the scriptures and about what's going on in the world. My name is Christopher Vaughn. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Avenue, and I'm joined today by Pastor Laura Bird and our modern pastoral intern, Carol Petritus. We are looking at the Gospel of John this morning, chapter 5. Um, which is the story of the man at the pool of Bethsaida. So, Carol, will you read the scripture for us this morning? Sure. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Bethsaida, which has five porticos. In there lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, stand up, take your mat and walk. At once the man was made well and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath. The second time around, I think this is so interesting. It ties into Vaughn's song so well because we all need somebody. And yet here in the midst of a scripture is somebody who needed somebody for 38 years and didn't have them. They sat alone. They sat by themselves. They struggled to make it to the place where they knew they could be offered healing and they just couldn't make it. And yet nowhere in the scripture does it say, you know, well, he had a group of friends that came every day and tried to help him down. And it's not like the paralyzed man who's literally lowered into the ceiling of his friend's home. This is somebody who had nobody. And so I I think about this idea of, um, and Carol, it's a question you asked that's just stuck with me. What is the most important part of the Christian message? What is the very core of what it means to follow God? And I think we find it in the midst of this. I'm just going to open that question up. Maybe we can dig into it a little bit. What is it? What's the core of what it means to be a follower of Christ? Yeah, I am struck when I'm reading this because, again, you kind of touched on it. I see this scene in my mind of this man trying to make his way for 38 years. I'm like, did he try every single day to go into the pool? And every single day he, he was beat to it. Um, and I, I think about this concept, one of the most important parts of the Christian message of loving your neighbor and what it looks like for these other people that were racing this person to the pool for 38 times 365 times, um, wouldn't one of those times you, you say, you know what, the needs of this man are above my, my own. Um, so that's part of the love your neighbor piece, which I think is uh, central, obviously, to the Christian message. That was the first thing I thought is, you know, the new law that Jesus gave. Um, so we've, we've said it several times in here, but it's always a good reminder that, um, you know, in the Jewish culture, they had all these religious laws that they had to follow. How many? 613? 613. That's right. Um, that's a lot of laws to keep up with. I don't know if I could do that. Um, feel like I'd break a few. Um, and when Jesus came, he said, you know, I have a new law, love God, love neighbor. Um, 
and it, it's just so much simpler. <laughs> um, but we still mess that up, that one up, don't we? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think about that too. Like, why didn't someone? Were they all just jerks? Like, I don't know. But another thing I think about is that this pool was pagan. You know, it was not um, not something Jews would have been, like, all about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I how does that play into it, too? Um, that's- yeah, well, these were actually the healing pools outside the city of Jerusalem. Right, so they are part of um, the purifying culture of the Jewish tradition. Um, and the interesting thing about these pools is they actually have a, almost a natural geyser underneath. So when the scripture says that they were stirring up the waters, it's that geyser that is making the water stir. But there was this belief and it was this tradition that the angels of the Lord were coming to stir the waters. And if you could get into the waters when they were being stirred, you would be offered healing by God. And that's the the interesting thing, I think, here, too, of, one, you've got this idea of selfishness versus selflessness, Mm. right? The calling from Jesus is to selflessness. But you've got 38 years of this man waiting for healing, waiting for help, knowing he can't get there, and everybody goes, you know what, maybe I'll catch you the next time. Or, you know what, surely he has family that's going to come help him, right? Or surely he has some friends, or like, there's somebody better qualified, Mm to take care of this man than me. And those are the same excuses that we use today still, right? Oh, I don't have time today. Hopefully somebody else is feeling called by the Spirit to help this man or this woman um, or this child or this person. And so there's this, you know, there's that juxtaposition. He's stuck there. He knows that healing is offered by God in this pool because he's seen it happen. People go into the pool, they come out healed. The water is stirred. If you can get to it, then you're offered healing. Now, Carol, to answer your question, we don't know if the pool stirred up every day, mm-hmm. right? Um, but we know that if you're going to be there when it stirs up, right, it's kind of like rope drop at Disney World, right? You got to get there early and get ready, okay? Um, sorry, we went to Disney World a few <laughs> weeks ago. Um, and so there's this idea, I think, you know, when we, we talk about everybody needs somebody, But also, we expect God to show up in the same way that God has showed up before, Mm. either for us or for other people in our lives or from things that we have heard. And I think it's so interesting that when this man at the pool is approached by Jesus, right, and he says, do you want to be healed or in a different translation, right, do you want to be made well? The man immediately goes, well, yeah. I do, but I can't get down to the pool. I don't have anybody to help me. I've tried. People run past me. I just can't get there, right? I can't get to where the healing is offered. And he misses God right in front of him, asking if he wants to be healed. And Jesus doesn't respond sternly. He doesn't respond dispassionately. He just says compassionately, right? Get up and walk. Take your mat and go. And so there is this, you know, God showed up in an unexpected way. Mm-hmm. And what Jesus reminds the man at the pool is God shows up in unexpected places. And just because you have tried something over and over and over and over again, because you know it works, doesn't necessarily mean that that's what's going to work for you. Mm -hmm. There might be a different way in the midst of that too. 
Yeah, you know, I've, I've spent a, a week in, in Houston where I've been doing a week of intensive classes, and two of those days I was in systematic theology, and we do a lot of work where we talk about the attributes of God. And it's interesting to me because, because we're humans, we have a tendency to want to ascribe our human attributes to God and our human abilities to God. And that's interesting because I think in this passage, we see the man saying, well, I mean, I can't get to the pool and this, this is the only way, this is the only way that I know. Because in his human mind, there was a limitation. And when we think about what God is able to do, as opposed to what we as humans are able to do, there's such a large space there. And God can do a new thing. God can do something that we've never imagined before because God is not limited by the humanity that we experience, which I think is an interesting component of what we see here is that the man is trying to force God into the human box. Well, and I love the intentionality of Jesus because when you look at where these pools are located, they are outside the city walls. Right? We know that Jesus has gone um, to this area because he's required to by the law. Right? It, there's one of um, three Jewish festivals that if you're within a 15-mile radius, you should go to Jerusalem for. Um, and so Jesus is following his obligation to be there for one of these festivals. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us which one. Um, we can assume it's not Passover because that comes later in scripture. Um, but he's there for this unnamed Jewish festival. And the, the scripture doesn't say the disciples were with him, mm. right? He intentionally walks outside the city to these pools that are about a mile out, almost, it seems, to specifically encounter this man that's been waiting for 38 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that time and time again of Jesus showing up to people who have been hurting for a really long time. Um, and always showing them God in an unexpected way. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I love the way that you talked about, you know, our limited vision versus the limited, um, you know, limitless capacity of God mm-hmm. and how, you know, we, we put God in a box, right? For this man, right, there is one way that I know that healing is offered, right? I, I watch it happen every day as I sit here because I can't get down there. Um, I have tried and it works for people and one day it's going to work for me. I just got to get down there. Uh, I just got to get down there. It also makes me just think about how Jesus looks at the marginalized or the people that we often don't see. Um, You know, he was there for so, so, so many years. And I think at a certain point, people just didn't see him anymore. Mm. Like it, it, well, he's, you know. Almost a fixture. Yeah. Like he's part of the scenery. He's part of the scenery. Yeah. Um, And he's probably never going to make it in there. He's never going to be healed. So, um, yeah, and, and Jesus not only goes straight to him, but most likely, you know, makes the journey for, specifically for him. I really think when Jesus encounters people like the Samaritan woman, like him, it's not like Jesus is just walking along and then there's a person who's like, hey, I'm going to heal you. It's, I think Jesus specifically picked these specific people out because they were unseen, they were marginalized, they were treated unfairly by others. Um, and I just think that speaks a lot to his law of, you know, love God, love neighbor. 
Um, he was really trying to show us what that looks like. Yeah, very much so. I, I will never forget um, when I, I went to work at a church one time in Texas, and um, the students there had always gone out of state for their mission projects. And as we were, you know, talking about God and the marginalized and our responsibility, right, um, to serve, they said, well, there's nobody to serve because there are no poor people in Texas. And it took me off guard, uh, right? I, I grew up in Houston, um, and um, we just can see people who are suffering and hurting. We see them on street corners. We see them in certain parts of town, right? We see them. And I realized based off of where these students lived and then because of where they lived, where they then traveled, they had never encountered somebody in poverty close to home. Mm-hmm. And so the, the very next summer, the very first thing we did was we took a mission trip to Wiley, Texas, right? a grand like 35 minutes from the church that I was serving at. Um, and we worked in a, a trailer park community for the week. Um, And they never again then said, well, there are no poor people in Texas because they had seen them. But when when you live in an area where poverty is hidden, it's never that poverty isn't there. When you live in an area where poverty is hidden, it does feel like it doesn't exist. You get this idea that somehow, you know, well, things are are good, right? Um, Everything's nice. Everybody's doing well, right? Like there's some things, some places, but here where we are, we're, we're doing pretty okay. And I think that's so important of, right, Jesus constantly reminding us, open your eyes to see, open your ears to hear, open your heart to love, open your hands to serve, and open your feet to walk into the world so that you can use all of these things that I have called you to. So um, as we think about those ideas and this idea too of the, the second time around, I think part of the, the challenge that we have, um, much like the man of the pool of uh, Besada, is a lot of times we think things just can't be done um, until somebody does it. Uh, I was reading um, a couple of years ago now um, about Roger Bannister. Um, he was the, the very first man to break the four-minute mile. And before that, um, everybody just said it just couldn't be done, right? With wind resistance and with the lung capacity of humans and the way that legs worked, right? There just was no possible way that you could run a sub four minute mile, right? Um, But I think the the problem with that was uh, nobody told Roger Bannister. And so um, in, uh, I think it was 1954, Roger Bannister, who was a a med student in front of 3,000 people, broke the four-minute mile um, with a time of like three minutes, 59 seconds or something like that. And what I think is so interesting about that story is not that Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile, but that it was broken again and his record was beaten just three days later. Mm. And then that record was broken again the next week and then that record was broken again two weeks later. Once... We, as human beings, knew that it was possible we could make it happen. Mm. And I think so often we get caught up and get overwhelmed by all there is to do in the world. So much hunger, so much poverty, so much sorrow, 
So much war, so much destruction, so much. What can I possibly do? And yet, through the example of Jesus, we know how to heal the sick. We know how to feed the hungry. We know how to um, offer compassion to those who need it, right? We know it can be done because we saw our Savior do it. Mm -hmm. And so much like Roger Bannister broke that four-minute mile, we now also have the opportunity to break down this barrier of, I just don't see that or I don't have time for that, or I'm not equipped for that, or surely they have somebody in their lives that's going to come take care of them, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Because we know there are people in our own communities who've been waiting for 38 years for Mm -hmm. healing, who've been waiting 38 years for a chance, an opportunity um, to be lifted up in that way as well. And so I think that's, that's what's interesting to me in this scripture is this idea that we have of, well, just can't be done. Well, then one person gets healed in this pool, right? Well, now we know it can be done. So now we're all gonna come gather at the pool. Okay, now this person's been healed and this person, and my chance is coming too. Mm. Um, and so once we know it can be done, we then, uh, we have great capacity, right? We, we can now run a, a marathon in under two hours. So uh, like personally can't, but there are people <laughs> who can as well. Um, and now that that's been done, we're gonna just see people continue to push the extremes of what that looks like. Yeah, it it makes me think of the way that my son, who is eight years old and really into video games, would say this. He would say, level unlocked. You know, like, it's like this level is is unlocked in what we're we're able to do. And I do connect a lot to what you're saying about how we often are just so bogged down by all that there is to do. And this idea has been said many times, but each one of us has something that I think we are, we are naturally good at, we are naturally interested in. And I think it's within all of us to think about what that thing is that we can do to ease someone's suffering. You know, you may be great at working on cars. That might be your thing. You know, you ease the suffering of someone that is very worried about having to buy a new car and you're able to repair that car and they don't have that burden. So I think that's something that we can all look within ourselves um, to do is what's the new thing that I can do? What's the the thing that has been a limit in my mind that I've thought, oh, I can't do that, that we can go into that state of level unlocked. We, we, can, we can do this thing that can ease someone's suffering, make someone's life easier, better, um, more hopeful. Yeah. I think this idea, um, you know, we, we, we called this podcast the second time around um, because often we miss things the first time, um, or at least I do. And, and this idea of, you know, we have a second opportunity. This man was offered a different kind, a second opportunity for healing. Um, we have others in Scripture who offered these second opportunities of grace or compassion that come around. Um, and we, too, have been, in some ways, I think all of us, given another shot by somebody, whether it was a teacher or a pastor or a friend or a family member who helped us in such a way that it empowered us to do something different with our lives, um, even if it was something small. And so I I love this idea, too, of small changes have a big impact, Mm. right? Um, And the way that Jesus shows us in profound ways, small things that we could do every day that change the lives of people, right? It cost Jesus nothing to heal that man, right? Um, except a little bit of time, mm. intentionally walking out to the pools, intentionally having a conversation filled with compassion 
with a man that people have been walking past for 38 years. Um, and so, you know, it's that, that interesting um, idea in the midst of this scripture of this is a second chance. This is a second opportunity, right? Pick up your mat and go. Um, and then what follows in the scripture, right, as he's picking up his mat and walking, people go, hey, that's work. You shouldn't be picking that up on the Sabbath, mm-hmm. right? Um, to which the man replies, you know, well, the, the guy that healed me told me to pick up the mat and go, so I'm just doing what I'm told. Right? <laughs> um, and so it's, it's this interesting idea of um, this second chance that he's been given that he never expected to come in the way that it did. Um, and so I, I guess I'm, I'm a little stuck this morning um, on this idea of God coming in the unexpected because mm-hmm. God always shows up in ways that we just can't anticipate. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about with second time around, what have been the places where maybe you've walked by, like the people presumably walked by this man at the pool that you maybe have a second chance. So maybe it's someone on your commute that you pass every day and you've just chosen to pretend like that person is not there or just let them blend into the scenery. But now we have a second time around to do something differently, to to lean into loving our neighbor in in a new way. Yeah, radical hospitality, Mm -hmm. right, is the word that got really popular um, like 20 years ago, right, when we were talking about what Christ calls us to. Um, you know, I think Shane Claiborne talked about it a lot, radical hospitality, and it became very popular. Um, but it's, it's something, too, as simple, um, Laura's talked about this a lot recently, of radical hospitality happens here in this building every Sunday, or at least it should, right? How often do we talk to one another across the rooms and the spaces or just come and sit and just wait, Right? And then we've got people who have come looking for a church home, looking for a place to belong, a spiritual um, encounter with God, and they sit by themselves having been taught to nobody in the room, and then they don't feel welcome. Right? I mean, so radical hospitality on second chances, yes, all the way out in the world, but also right here in mm. this space every Sunday. Um, and I think, too, often about all of our folks who join online, right, um, and how often we get to encounter them in some way um, and greet them or make them feel like they are welcomed and belonged as well. Um, those who you know, are watching live on Sunday mornings or those who are listening throughout the week, too, what does radical hospitality look like for an online community, um, especially um, versus an in-person um, or in addition to an in-person, right? We have opportunities for radical hospitality. That's what Jesus offers in the midst of that as well. It's that idea. Yeah, and I think a lot of times we just think of hospitality um, as just saying hi to someone, but really radical hospitality is about learning how to not only welcome people in to your community, but help them find belonging. I mean, do what Jesus did and, and heal them. Um, and really, if you think about it, a lot of times when people come and visit, they're here just like the man looking for healing, and they just don't know how to go about it. So, well, I'll just walk into the church walls, and, and somehow it'll happen. But it happens because we are the hands and feet of God. And so not only do we need to welcome people in and and hear their story, but we need to invite them into this community because it's, it's supposed to be somewhere you can belong. Um, and I think we often forget that. We just 
hello, hi, how are you? And then we go on with our our lives. And um, instead of thinking like, Jesus, okay, how can I get this person to belong here, not just be here? Mm-hmm. And feel like they they have a home here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's the difference in are we going to treat our church like the pool of Bethsaida? Are we going to treat our church like Jesus walking and approaching people with compassion? Is it a place where people just walk in and, you know, we just hope, man, this is a great experience on a Sunday morning. You're going to encounter God just because you're in proximity and it's going to be great. Or do we take it upon ourselves as the community of faith, as the gathered believers to be the ones who go, oh, right, God is going to show up, but God's going to show up through me, right? Am I going to make sure that people who walk in the door feel like they belong individually? Am I going to rely on the pastors to do that or the ushers to do that or the greeters to do that? Or, you know, that really gregarious guy that walks around every week, he's really nice. He's talked to me a couple of times, right? Or am I going to be the one who is offering that radical hospitality that has been shown in the scriptures? And I think a lot of times we don't do that because we're just uncomfortable or we feel awkward. Like I know for me, when I first started doing worship, I would forget people's names and I would know their faces, but I wouldn't know their name. And so I would feel so dumb, you know, just coming out like, I know I know you, but, and so now I just, you know, remind me of your name or, hey, I'm Laura. And they might say, I've met you before. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Um, But just being that, that person who can just walk up to people and, and, and welcome them and, let them let them be seen. Like at, when you were talking, Christopher, I was thinking about like I don't know why but I was thinking about this being like the pool, and us being kind of like we're we're all waiting for healing, and in many ways in this community, you know, we we just walk by those people that have been there or you know aren't being seen because we're here for healing, and I just never thought of it that way. That's really interesting. So, well, you know, I could, I could take full credit for that idea, but I thought of it while you were talking. So we're, you know, <laughs> we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We are playing off each other in the podcast. So, all right, closing thoughts this morning um, on uh, John 5 and the man at the pool of, um, you know, I've pronounced it like five different ways, right, this morning. Um, we should but, just call it like B pool. The bee pool. Yes, <laughs> that sounds way easier. That's Thatha, the Satha. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think for my, my final thought kind of sums up many of the things that we've been talking about, about. But for me, as I go into this week, I think I'm going to be looking at what are those places that I have a second chance to love my neighbor in a new way? And I, I'm thinking about, I'm admitting something horrible right now about in my actual neighborhood, um, the way that I don't know my neighbors. And would it be weird if I just said, yes, we've lived here for 10 years. I, I don't know your name. I'm so sorry. Second time around, second chance, <laughs> you know? I don't think that's weird at all. You know, I, I have that story that I have told before, so forgive me if you've heard it before, but Benjamin watched a Daniel Tiger, and in Daniel Tiger, he made cookies for his neighbor, right? Handmade, co- I mean, from scratch. So, of course, after you watched that, right, Benjamin was like, I need to make cookies for our neighbors, and we had been in this house for a little over a year, right? Hattie had, had just been born. She's a baby, and um, and so he made the cookies, and then he was like, now I, now I need to take them to my neighbors, and I was like, I really 
don't want to do this. Um, it's going to be awkward. I don't know if people are going to be nice to you or not, right? Like, you're cute and all, but, like, these cookies are obviously handmade by a child, right? I don't know if people are going to want them. Um, you have decorated them yourself with icing, so, um, you know, at that time he was three and a half, so you can just get an image of what that looks like. Um, it looks like a rainbow threw up on the cookies. Um, they're just, you know, not great looking. And we go next door, and we, we knock on the door, um, and they open the door, and they go, well, hey, Christopher, hey, Benjamin, how are you? And I was like, what? Um, come to find out, um, Dave and Danielle, who are my next-door neighbors, are also church members um, and <laughs> have known who I was for years, right? Um, I just didn't know who they were. And so what, that's a great, you, you may find out your neighbors are church members. That would be uh, less, uh, that would be, uh, I mean, it would be great if they're a church member, but also... Um, unfortunate for me if I've gone that long because it really it's been nine years it actually has been nine years so yeah. so I think it's good to get to know your neighbors yeah probably now's the time you know <laughs> after kind of like a nine year intro period um, but hey we're talking about second time around so, so that really is my <laughs> takeaway so just pretend like you just moved in yeah 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 um, final thought for me um, we didn't talk about it much today but there's this um this question, you know, Jesus asks, do you want to be healed? And for me, that, that speaks to me a lot um, because we talk about healing a lot, but yet we're so resistant to it. I had, um, I had this spiritual experience. Okay, I'm just going to tell you what I did. Uh, I did a sweat lodge, which was very interesting and very hot. <laughs> but um, there's something that happens when you're in the heat. Um, I had this, you know, I really felt God's presence. Um, and I really understood in that moment um, how much I was carrying. Um, just loads of baggage that I was carrying that I really thought that I had shed. Um, and it was just right in front of me, like, no, you're, you've been carrying this for a while, girl. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and in that moment, it's, it's, I felt like that, that question, you know, do you want to be healed? Because you keep carrying this and there's no reason to. And so I just think about that a lot. Do you, do you want to be healed? And how we, can, how we can come to Jesus and think we want healing and yet we are holding on to, for dear life of, of our own detriment, right? Um, we believe, just like the man at the pool believed, that it can't be done, that I'm just going to be here forever and not be healed, and no one will help me, and poor me. And um, so I just, I just think a lot about that question. And, you know, when we're searching for healing, when do we get in the way when Jesus is trying to say, just stand up, just let it go. That's something Joshua talked about, right? Um, a few weeks ago, we, he, he brought this scripture up too, and he said, you know, the, the challenge that happened with the man there is he got caught up in the strategy so much so that he forgot the goal, right? The strategy for healing is, I gotta get in that pool. But the overall goal was to be healed, and somewhere in the midst of all of that, he lost sight of the goal and only thought about the strategy. And because of that, he thought God could only show up in certain ways. 
And so I think that's the, the, the kicker there of that question of, do you want to be made well? And, and the immediate response, right, is not, well, yes, Lord, I want to be made well. It's, well, yeah, I've been trying to get to the pool for 38 years, right? Like, what do you want from me? Of course I want to be made well. I know how to get, you know, I, got, I just got to get down there. I, I know how to do it. I know the strategy that works. I know how to be healed. I just can't get there. Can't you see that? And Jesus says, well, you know, stand up, pick up your mat, right? You've been healed, and, and, and Jesus reminds him of the goal, and in doing so, shows up in a completely unexpected way. And I think you're, you're exactly right in that when you're carrying so much baggage, I think so often you get so focused on the strategy, you forget the goal, mm-hmm. right? I, 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 I know what I need to do to get this fixed, and I've got to do these 20 things on this list, and then I'm going to be good, and then, you know, th- this is just how this works. When literally right? God's sitting there like, no, no, I got it, but you have to trust me. Yeah. But we just want our checklist, right? It's like, if you could just tell me the 20 things that I need to do for healing, and then if you could send a fax or something about what, what we need for salvation as well, that would be great, Lord, right? Um, and it just doesn't work that way. Um, and so what I, what I love in, in this beautiful story we read this morning is the reminder of compassion, the reminder of radical hospitality, and that reminder that the, the strategy is not the goal and the goal is not the strategy, that God can show up in unexpected places. Even in a sweat lodge. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what you were going to say because you had your hand right by that microphone. Um, so as always, uh, we want to continue the conversation. Um, and so if you want to talk about John 5 or if you had another question bubble up for you today, um, we'll be around after the service. You can shoot us a message um, either on Facebook or send us an email. Um, we'd love to continue to be in conversation with you um, about this um, calling that we have from God to live into seeing um, and living out compassion.